Hello there, and welcome back to my weekly show. I'm Father Roderick, podcasting from the heart of the Netherlands. The Netherlands has such a great heart, such a big heart. <laughs> it covers like half of the country. And uh, I hope you're ready for, uh, for an interesting show. I'm going to talk about Spider-Man, because I finally got to see that movie. And way more than that, of course. This episode, like everything I do, is made possible thanks to my patrons, my monthly supporters with a micro donation. They help me do what I do and also to grow in what I do thanks to their feedback. And one of the ways in which they do that is by participating in the um, Discord community. So if you become a patron, you get access to the Discord community. It's growing every week. I am so stunned to see how quickly the community is now kind of embracing what I do and, and, and helping me with a lot of feedback. So this week, I'm super happy to welcome a couple of new patrons, Joost and Dominique. Uh, welcome to, to the Patreon community. Uh, Anushka is also new. We've got Grant, Christine, Melinda, and Dale, and they all joined that community in the past six days. I am so happy to have you as part of my team. And then I also want to mention Jessica, Gloria, Pascal, Larry, Lee, and Sherry, who have all upped their pledge. So you can start, for instance, you know, just two fifty a month, and then you have access to the podcast feed, extra podcasts every week. Um, you get on the Discord server, and you get to see all the posts that normally are uh, exclusive to patrons. Um, but then sometimes people have a little bit more, or they are excited about a project that I want to do, like a my next documentary, they want to help make that a reality. So they will sometimes up their pledge. And some, some people will just stop pledging because of personal circumstances or whatever. Or because they hate me. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, but it's, 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 so, um, it's so cool to have that community that has my back. Um, and it always motivates me to, um, to, bring, to be at my best when I, when I do what I do. All right, let's take a look at the world news. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. There's one of the big uh, news items that is on our mind is the situation in Ukraine. It is it's very worrisome because trying to open a window here and it opens on my other monitor that is behind me like <laughs> i gotta really love windows not what the heck is it doing so i've got this monitor behind me which which serves basically as a background for for for, for my stream and i try to open a window because I've, I've got another monitor that is right underneath the um the the camera but then the, Windows 11 has all these new, like, snapping windows. So you click on something, and then all of a sudden, the, the window is just a quarter of the screen. And ah, just, ah. <laughs> it's really uh, complicated to, to manage multiple monitors. I'm looking behind me. So where did that window go? Anyway, what I wanted to bring up is a news article on, uh, on catholicnews.com about uh, Pope Francis, who spoke about the situation in Ukraine, because um, you may have missed this, but Pope Francis has appealed um, for a day of prayer, uh, which is, um, actually, I think it just, it happened. Um, yeah, I think it was yesterday, if I'm not mistaken. Um, a, a day of prayer 
for peace in Ukraine. The Pope is very concerned, as we all are, about a potential uh, armed conflict in that region, in that country. And Pope Francis, of course, um, is, is very concerned for the people in, in Ukraine who have already suffered so much from previous wars. And so um, the Pope uh, yesterday appealed for an end to all war and prayed that dialogue, the common good and reconciliation would prevail. He said literally, let us ask the Lord to grant that the country may grow in the spirit of brotherhood and that all hurts, fears and divisions will be overcome. May the prayers and supplications that today rise up to heaven touch the minds and hearts of world leaders so that dialogue may prevail and the common good be placed ahead of partisan interests, he said. Now, this is it's very, very important. Um, the Pope is always uh, very sensitive to to external parties like influencing the well-being of, of just regular people and a lot of of when it comes to war a lot of it is 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 motivated by by greed by the profits that certain countries make on weapon sales etc but the real victims of war are always the normal people the regular people the non-military people the families the children and so when the pope appeals for an end to to uh, to war and for for world peace he's not just talking from a political point of view he's he's uh trying to defend those that are harmed the most by the consequences of war. And war always has collateral damage. It's never just military. So I'm joining the Pope in his, his prayers for Ukraine. I pray for the people that live there. And, uh, and, well, as the Pope says, let us pray for world leaders that they may be wise, uh, that their motivations may be purified, uh, that they have the common good, uh, as their goal instead of their own you know political advantage or even worse personal prop personal profit or or whatever so um yeah let's pray that our uh world leaders serve the people that they rule instead of exploiting them uh but the pope continued to uh uh to mention to 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 remind us of the Holocaust on the eve of International Holocaust Remembrance Day, and he said, "Let us also think about the more than five million people who were annihilated in Ukraine during the time of the last war. They are suffering people. They suffered famine. They suffered so much cruelty, and they deserve peace. And yes, this future potential conflict would hit a population that has already had to deal with so much." Um, and then Archbishop Gallagher, who is kind of the Vatican's foreign minister, uh, spoke about war um, in in, um, in on that same day during a prayer service on the day for for uh, of prayer for for Ukraine. And he spoke and he said, "It is even more scandalous to see that those who suffer most from conflicts are not those who decide whether or not to start them, but are above all." those who are just defenseless victims. It is truly sad to see entire populations torn apart by so much suffering, caused by, not by natural disasters or events beyond human control, that would be worse enough, but by the hand of man, by actions made not in a violent outburst, but carefully, carefully calculated and carried out in a systematic way, he said. So, yes, I'm, I'm proud <laughs> of our church leaders to take a stance in this and to do what they can 
Uh, and, and this is the public side of that. But as you know, the Vatican has also very, very strong diplomatic uh, connections everywhere in the world. So I'm sure that even behind the scenes, the Vatican does what it can to contribute to uh, upholding the peace in, in Ukraine. And let us all uh, accompany their efforts with our prayers. <laughs> Not like movies. They're predictable. Like the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. I finally got to see the movie that I've been wanting to see for more than a month. I'm talking about the new Spider-Man movie, No Way Home. As you know, I'm a huge fan of Spider-Man. It is my favorite series within the MCU, and I loved the first two uh, episodes. I also loved all the other uh, Spider-Man movies. I was a huge fan of what Tobey Maguire did, uh, even, even in the third movie that nobody liked, but I still enjoyed it very much. I loved um, what uh, Garfield did for... Um, uh, for 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 these two Sony uh, movies, but now with Tom Holland uh, and 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 the fantastic writers of Disney um, taking the lead with these new Spider-Man stories, I I just so look forward to the finale of the, of the trilogy. Uh, this is not going to be the final movie with Tom Holland. Uh, for the MCU, they are planning more movies, and I think they even opened a possibility for Sony. Maybe moving ahead with uh, Andrew Garfield for uh, for that particular incarnation of of, of the Spider Man character. Um, here's hoping that there will be a lot of Spider Man in the future. There's going to be an animated series as well. Um, I think that's going to be on Disney, so that will continue. Maybe even tie into uh, the live action movies. I'm not sure, but I I would expect that they do that. Why not? And so um, I. I, I was just ho very, very hopeful that the third movie would be even better than the, than the previous two. Not to mention that there were a very exciting rumors about who would appear in this movie, uh, the cameos, the storyline. Uh, there were uh, connections with uh, Doctor Strange and that upcoming movie. It felt to me like this was a must-see movie. So when it finally premiered, I had already, like, I was sitting there at my computer ready to order my tickets. And then that same day, our government decided that we would go in lockdown. And that would mean the entire cultural section. So museums, art, uh, concerts, and movie theaters would all close down. And so they have been closed since the very day of the premiere of Spider-Man, my good friend John Domek, he got to see the movie. He went to the premiere, and then that was the final screening of the movie. So he was like, oh my gosh, I think you're going to have a hard time uh, shielding yourself from spoilers because this movie is one of the best I have ever seen. And I, he was hyping it up, and I was like, no, no, don't do this to me. I want to be surprised. So I did my utter best to stay, steer away from any Spider-Man-related news on social media, which was super difficult because, of course, the movie has been out for weeks. So a lot of people internationally think, well, we can talk spoilers now because, you know, everybody has seen the movie by now. And if you haven't, then you're not a real Spider-Man fan. So you deserve to be spoiled, right? <laughs> I was like, come on, please spare me. And I have to say, um, that almost completely worked. I did get 
a little bit of a hunch what the movie would be about. Uh, of course, we saw some some uh, stuff in the trailer and kind of thinking about that and connecting the dots. I could figure out more or less the overall story, but in very broad strokes. And there was also a rumor about you know the multiverse and what that would mean for who would appear in the movie. And well, if you've seen my my reaction to the Spider-Man trailer. Uh, a long time. It sounds like it feels like an eternity ago that I posted that on YouTube. I think I openly speculated about you know former actors returning to their roles of Spider-Man in this new movie, but I wasn't sure. It m may just have been wishful thinking. May just have been fans like just dreaming up their ideal Spider-Man movie. And I still went into the theater not knowing much. And wow, did this movie really do what I hoped it would do, but didn't count on it. And and it did it in such a glorious way. This was a fun movie. It was very... Um, the the, the storyline, even though it was super intricate and lots and lots of different characters and villains and whatnot, but it was very easy to follow. It was not a convoluted plot with like all sorts of forced appearances of people. It all made sense. There was one continuous clear storyline which was also very typically a, a, a Spider-Man storyline. And it fit the characters. And every appearance, every cameo... This, these people were not cameos. They had a, a fundamental role to play. And each of them was got their screen time. And um, the acting was superb. And, and it worked so well together. Everyone seemed to just click into this story... And, and I don't think I have ever seen an MCU movie that was so well done. Um, I loved, of course, the Avengers and the way that story ended. But that still felt like, oh, we're going to have this massive fight and we're going to have all your favorites. And we're just cr going to cram them all together in the same frame so we can make a nice trailer. But there wasn't the same kind of interaction and acting that was taking place in this movie. Even the Avengers would still focus on a few of the main characters and you would have like these, you know, very short appearances here and there of, of all the other Avengers. But this was different. It's, everybody here had a role to be proud of. And I, I, I really applaud the writers for, for pulling it off. I also really am in awe of the actors. You know, imagine... Uh, bringing back a character that you played decades, well, not decades ago, but a long time ago, and then still make it believable. It was so well done. It was amazing. The, oh, the, the music was fantastic as well. You heard all these old themes. I love the music that they created for the MCU Spider-Man. It's one of my favorite themes. So that was great. Special effects were, were out of this world. The only thing I regret is that I saw it in 2D. And I did that because I'm a little bit... Um, how did you say that? I was saving saving euros. I have this subscription to my local theater, but it's only for 2D movies. If you want to have the 3D movies as well available to you for free, you need to... The price is like almost 10 bucks more expensive, and that's too much. I can have a subscription to Disney uh, Plus or, or, or Apple TV for that. So... Um, so I watched, I saw it in 2D, and but you can actually see it in, in 3D as well if you pay a little bit extra. And I was like, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm too greedy for that. Let me just watch the 2D version. But this was 
particularly this movie, is a movie I should have seen in 3D. Not to mention that while I was riding my bike to my local movie theater, and I was almost halfway there, and you need to be there in time because of all the COVID regulations, and they need to kind of look at your COVID proof of vaccination and stuff. So there was no extra time. There was no margin. But when I was almost... Well, I was not almost there, but halfway uh, on, on my way to the movie theater. And then I realized I forgot my glasses. <laughs> I'd been sitting in front of the computer all day long wearing my computer glasses. I've got these glasses that help me focus on the screen. And so usually when I'm done working, I take off my greeting glasses. I don't need them anymore. And I only put on my regular glasses if I watch TV. And... It's not that I'm completely blind when I don't wear my glasses, but everything is a little bit fuzzy and a bit hazy. And so I was going to the movies like, I can't believe I'm going to see Spider-Man and I forget my glasses. So, yeah, I've been squinting quite a bit during the movie. It did, it was actually, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Um, mostly because it's a huge screen. So these movies are screened usually in 4K. Um, so there is a not... It's big enough to see clearly. It's like as if I'm sitting like in front, like a meter away from my big TV. Um, so that helps. <laughs> I could still read the subtitles. But next time, I'm, I'm definitely going to see this movie again. It's that good. I'm gonna, going to bring my glasses and my 3D glasses, and I'm going to pay extra to see it in 3D because, wow, what a movie. And I'm so glad that I wasn't spoiled because this movie is such a surprise. In, in, in I did not see this coming. It was amazing. And, well, it was a huge hit for Disney. So that's good for the franchise, right? Uh, let's hope that there is more Spider-Man. And, and I also really hope that Sony will, will continue their amazing Spider-Man. Uh, series with Andrew Garfield because I think he was brilliant. He's a very, very different Spider-Man from Tom Holland, but but he was also very good. And I felt that it was a bit unfair that his career as Spider-Man was suddenly broken off after only two movies. And I think I don't know that with the resurgence right now of the of the Spider-Man character and the way they told this particular story. They have a chance, and I hope they seize it. The only thing that I didn't care for that much was the end credit scenes. Uh, like the mid credit scene featured um, uh, an appearance of, of, of the, one of the only characters in the Sony uh, lineup of superheroes or supervillains, depending on... Well, it's kind of a bit a bit, a bit in flux with this character, and I I I've never cared for those movies, and I felt it was like ugh, it it to tonally it was so different from the rest of the movie, and it felt almost as if this was part of a deal that they struck with Sony that they had to do this, but it ugh no, I hope they're not going to continue that particular storyline or or introduce that character into the MCU because eh, I don't know, I'm not a fan. But anyway, we'll see. That's for later. I'm super excited about the book of Boba Fett. Um, I'm. I hope that you watch it as well. If not, you're missing something really, really great story story wise. This is not your run of the mill Star Wars. This is some excellent writing, excellent uh, character arc. 
that is that would be interesting even beyond Star Wars. Uh, there, there's so much happening there, and that last episode, Chapter 5, was just a total surprise. It was really, really cool. But that's not for here or there. If you want to hear more about my Star Wars opinions, then, of course, you know that you have to go to my YouTube page uh, and look for Father Roderick, because that's where... My Star Wars world is mostly located. Let's visit the Peculiar Bunch. <laughs> Catholics rock! Here at the Peculiar Bunch, we're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know about Catholics and their faith, but you are afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. Meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? Today I want to talk about uh, a actually two different research papers that were published the other day about Catholics in my country. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than blockbuster video. So, around this time of the year, our bishops of the Netherlands, uh, this tiny little country... Uh, right above Belgium, on the right-hand side of England and Scotland and to the left of Germany and to the south of Denmark. Uh, Just to give you an idea where it is, because I know that a lot of international listeners, usually if you give them a map and you ask them to point at the Netherlands, they will point at the North Pole or something like that, or Sweden. Um, But anyway, our bishops uh, would... uh, um, would have to visit the Vatican for their um, five-year pilgrimage to the, the the graves of the the apostles. It's in Latin uh, to go to the graves is called at limina apostolorum. So to the graves of the apostles, and usually on that occasion, if they do that pilgrimage. As bishops, in a certain way, they are successors of the apostles, so it makes sense for them to go pray at the tomb of you know these these predecessors for wisdom and for guidance. They also visit the current successor to St. Peter, who is, uh, of course, Pope Francis. And uh, that's usually when they do a tour of all the different uh, dicasteries in the Vatican, so all these different parts of the curia, of the governing system of the of the Vatican. And then they will share what's going on in their country and get some advice and sometimes even encouragements or corrections. Although lately these ad limina visits have changed a lot in tone where it's much more about an exchange and like a friendly dialogue and less like, uh, okay, hand in your homework and uh, oh, you get a B minus or something like that. It used to be a bit like that in the past, but uh, no longer. And this is the bishops themselves that tell me that. So, <clears throat> but it's, it's always good to every once in a while to just look at the situation and and evaluate where are we now as a church and uh, what what's happening and what do we want to talk about with uh, with our friends in the Vatican and so they they should be here i think they were planning on going there next week and then the week after that and um a couple of months ago i actually actually even scheduled in my own calendar to go to Rome at that time as well because there's usually a lot happening and I just I like these moments where there's something happening and I can I can you know film that or or tell the story of what's happening there but of course as you know a lot has changed um in the world and also in the media so um 
there was no immediate need for me to be there as a journalist or a reporter. Plus, the bishops themselves decided not to go. They canceled their uh, pilgrimage in in uh, in talks with the Vatican because of COVID. Um, and when they took that decision, our country was in a lockdown, and we it was very un- uncertain what the Omicron variant would do to the world. Well, a few weeks later, we know that it is rampant, and we've got the highest infection rates that we've ever seen. And despite that, our government just the other day reopened the country, more or less. <clears throat> That's how I got to see Spider-Man. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't brace for, you know, a pretty dire situation in the weeks to come. Because with the reopening of the country, of course, the number of infections will rise even more, which will ultimately, of course, also put pressure on our hospitals and on nurses and doctors. So I think it was wise for the bishops to kind of cancel their visit and postpone it. Maybe they can go in in the summertime when it's uh, warmer and usually, at least for the past two years, it meant that the COVID virus was also less active. But a lot of the newspapers who um, knew about this visit, uh, were, were at least two of them, had prepared um, a series of articles on the current situation of Catholics in the Netherlands. Now, why would they write about that in a secularized country? It is because the Catholic faith is still and this may surprise you, but still the biggest religious group in the country. There are more, way more Catholics than there are Protestants. And uh, so we're talking about about 3 million people that are still registered. I think it's 3.5 million people that are registered as Catholics. However, that doesn't say that they are practicing Catholics. Uh, According to the latest data that we have, only 150,000 people go to church regularly, which is not to say weekly but every once in a while so there's a huge discrepancy between people that are catholic in name and people that are actually you know still practicing and so uh two newspapers went uh and and had research firms do um uh how do you call that well research how do, you, how do you call that one when, when you get like a, a list of questions that you have to answer? Uh, a poll? Well, it's, it's more than a poll. Anyway, they, they uh, interrogated um, it, it, at least one of those research, uh, research companies asked more than a thousand ex-Catholics, or so people that don't, don't go to church anymore or don't feel affiliated with the Catholic church anymore. What is this? Okay, that's a phone call that unfortunately will have to wait until I'm done podcasting. Uh, let me put that phone on non-disturb. So, um, and, and, and then the results of that, of that research were published uh, just this week and last week uh, because, well, this was supposed to be very topical with the visit of the, of the bishops. What struck me in both uh, research papers was how much of a discrepancy there is not only between practicing Catholics and Catholics in name, but also when it comes to what the church is supposed to believe or what Catholics are supposed to believe and what they truly believe in my country. And and there's also a huge difference between the older generation and the younger generation. So in a nutshell, the younger generation is a little bit more orthodox when it comes to um, things like, uh, for instance, what's your take on celibacy? 
It's surprisingly, the younger generation is much more in favor of celibacy for priests than the older generation. That is the large majority, uh, like 90% of the people think that a priest should be able to marry. We should have, have also female priests. Um, and what was surprising on the whole uh, for, for all generations was that there was actually a lot of support among Catholics of assisted suicide. Uh, euthanasia, um, abortion. So, according to a lot of Catholics, the church should loosen up their stands on abortion, which is kind of shocking. Um, because if there is one thing that is central in Christian faith, it's the protection of the weak and uh, the respect for life. But, well, not so among Catholics, <clears throat> or the majority. And then also all sorts of other ideas where they the majority of catholics feel that the bishops their leaders are really behind on the times and are old-fashioned this is nothing new the dutch have a reputation for being way too way more liberal than than most of the catholic church um and the question of course is what do you do with that information it's not surprising what did surprise me was just the percentage because also of the practicing catholics you may think that all those kind of very liberal stances on abortion, euthanasia, etc., would come from non-churchgoers, from people that, you know, are at a distance of from the church. But also among churchgoers, you had the same percentages. So also the people that go to church have very, I don't know, well, a certain on a certain number of pretty vital um, issues when it comes to faith and morals, have actually opinions that are incompatible with the Catholic faith. I can't, I can't sugarcoat it. Um, and so what does that tell us? And more importantly, what should we do with that? Of course, that is a question not just for, for bishops. It's a question for all of us. My first thought is, um, this is, this is what it is. I'm glad to have that information. Yes, it is surprising, and on the other hand, it's nothing new. The Dutch Catholics um, are known for their, and this has been going on for decades now, for their very uh, per kind of personal, individualistic interpretation of their faith. And what keeps them going to church, for instance, is not really the faith itself. It is, it's, it's just this, the sense of belonging or the feeling it gives them, nostalgia for the older generation. Um, community, friendship, but not not the contents of the faith. And I think this is also because for decades, Catholics have not received any type of formation. I think if you would ask a, just a run-of-the-mill Catholic at the end of Mass, can you explain to me the, the creed, for instance? Tell How many sacraments do we have? What is a sacrament? Those people would just look at you as like, uh, pff, I don't know. I I have no idea, nor do I care. <laughs> that that is the, perhaps the most shocking uh, uh, consequence of, of 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 the current state of Catholics in the Netherlands. It it just shows you how important formation is and good education, but also what happens if you don't do that. If you, it's not that automatically people will adopt the values of your organization, because this ultimately is about values, right? It's not a, just about doctrine. It's what are the values that, that you 
that you put in a central position in your in your life. These questions about euthanasia and abortion, that's all about like central values of protection of life and and to see that the majority of Catholics just follows the 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 rest of the secularized world. To me, that that almost is proof that faith truly has no meaning for people anymore, or is not relevant anymore. What the church believes, you just make up your own your own faith, and which of course is is dramatic. On the other hand, I am also very wary of a reaction to this news. That is like, oh, we need to start a new culture war, or this is a scandal, and we should kind of cast everyone out who has these crazy ideas. And reacting with anger to something that is just a given is never very helpful. But instead, I think the first the first reaction it should uh, hopefully suscitate among bishops and priests and you know people like me who are working in that church and 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 want to explain people how what the catholic faith can mean for their day-to-day decisions and worldview the first our first reaction should be let's listen this is this is we are talking about numbers that you cannot ignore there is something going on in society there's something going on among our catholic members of the flock and we need to talk. We need to we need to talk about this. We need to and and start by listening because people, of course, are not just walking away from these very important points of faith because they just want to, you know, irritate the bishops or something like that. No, they are pursuing certain values. But why is it that they can't? Um, translate the values that they may share with us or with other faithful when it comes to life. But why can't they translate that to their practical application on moral issues, for instance? Um, And there are also topics that are completely absent in this whole survey. That was the word that I was looking for in these surveys. And that is, what about the, the engagement in society? What about the poor? What about taking care of the sick, uh, of the homeless, immigration? Those topics are absent. I've not encountered them in those articles. Whereas, of course, the church is about way more than just dogma and moral uh, standpoints. It should, it should ideally translate in every uh, aspect of life, including, you know, so what does that mean for how you how you take care of, of, uh, of the people in need. And, I, and maybe on that level, there will be a lot of encouraging news. Um, I think that Catholics in general, as far as I know them, they're extremely social and very uh, concerned about the world and, and really doing a lot to help their neighbor. Um, and I think that, that it's... It's from if you start with that, if you start with what, so what is what do we have in common? What is going well? Then you may be able to enter into a dialogue that will build bridges and help people also to discover the rest of what being a Catholic should entail. So anyway, those are my current thoughts about this, and uh, th- well, <laughs> there's a lot of work to do, especially in communication. One of the one of the things that a lot of Catholics said when it comes to the way the Catholic Church in my country has handled the abuse crisis, 
they, uh, Catholics that are that know what the church has done are very positive about that, but there was a, an overall negative evaluation of the way that the church communicated what they did for to help the abused victims. And communication is and remains still, uh, still today, with all the means that we have in social communications, uh, com- professional communication in in the church in my country is a huge problem and and it's well i talked about it in my latest episode of the walk um it's often just propaganda what they do it's it's like a minimum there's nobody invests in communication or if they communicate they do it very locally just for their own diocese and there are no experts in 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 the catholic church in the netherlands there's no there's no like media team uh, I'm part of a consulting entity, and I've I've been a member of that of that council for many many years, and never have I felt that it mattered. <laughs> it's like we are there with a couple of people that are knowledgeable about about communication, and the only thing that we talk about is oh, okay. So when um, are you still going to uh, to to uh, uh, air mass on Sunday on television? And and we're so like focusing just on the very little catholic stuff that is still on public in public media instead of just approaching this huge crisis in communication because that's what it ultimately i think shows is that apparently catholic leadership is unable to communicate faith to their flock that is a huge problem and i would say <laughs> do something about that and yet i'm i'm a little skeptical cuz i've seen this for the past how how many years have i've been working in catholic media 15 years nothing has changed the 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 the, the, the little effort that they do is so subpar so low quality without any impact uh nationally or in the public domain if i were in charge i would say dude this is not working let's Let's try again. Let's do something different instead of just, oh, but we're doing something. Look, we have a YouTube video. More than a thousand people saw it. Good grief. If I talk about an obscure trailer for a whatever TV show, I got more viewers than they get. And then we're talking about the official Catholic communication of the, of the official Catholic Church. It reaches no one. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. So, anyway... I'll just do my thing. I cannot... There are just things that I cannot change. I can only hope to show by example or lead by example and show that there are ways to reach uh, a larger public. There are ways to, 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 to tell stories and to help people. Uh, and that's why I do this stuff. That's why I record this podcast. That's why I'm talking into a camera and... And, and, and chat with my YouTube audience because it's all part of an effort to to build bridges to listen to the world out there and to form community and friendships and and only then can you also move ahead and, and talk sometimes about deeper things but you first need to make that first contact and establish a communication and a dialogue anyway I've been talking about this way too long let's let's go talk books okay when did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? 
All right. I read a couple of books. <laughs> and uh, um, I talk about one book in particular in the latest episode of The Walk, which was really a fantastic book about um, uh, opening your mind to, to uh, well, a little bit what I talked about in the previous segment. Uh, about how much you have to gain from listening to people that have different opinions than you have, that are not in your bubble, in your communications bubble. And a lot of the issue that people have, like there are people in the chat room from Poland. I've got a lot of friends in Poland ever since I went there to Krakow years ago in 2018, I think. So, And, and there is a huge disconnect between the, the Catholics in the country and then the Catholic le- leadership. And I think it all has to do with that lack of openness uh, in, in, in the Polish Catholic Church. It's, it's like almost as if they are afraid of cultural changes. And Poland is changing very rapidly. And the Catholic Church kind of seems to... The only thing that they can come up with is to build this fortress where everybody hides, you know, and you're only welcome if you are true Catholic, whatever that may be. And, and of course, that is chasing away a lot of younger Catholics that can no longer identify with that church. Well, this book that I read uh, is called um, uh, uh, Think Again. Um, the, the Power of Knowing What You Don't Know. And it's a fantastic book. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it at length in, in, in this week's episode of The Walk, so just look for The Walk with Father Roderick in your podcasting software, and you'll be able to uh, to hear my thoughts on that book. But that's not the book that I wanted to talk about uh, in this segment. I wanted to talk about a, a fun read uh, by an, a journalist. I think she worked for NBC in the United States, and she wrote um, not really a memoir, but she wrote a book about her experiences during the campaign, the election campaign that ultimately led to the election of Donald Trump as the president of the United States. And so uh, the book is called Unbelievable, My Front Row Seat to the Craziest ca- craziest Campaign in American History. And it's a great read. You may think, well, ah, it's Katie Tour, and uh, it's, it's maybe too political for my tastes, but it's actually, it's not. It's, it's a funny, very personal story about, uh, mostly funny, also, in a certain way, you, you kind of feel for journalists to, to have to work in that field because it, it, it's pretty eye-opening on what that entails and how hard it is to be a journalist in these fast-moving times. But it's a very personal story, also at times self-deprecating, um, as I said, funny, personal, about how she became a very well-known journalist because she was singled out by Trump several times during that campaign where she was virtually unknown when she started to cover uh, Donald Trump. And then he kept kind of piling onto her during his his big rallies. And and at, at one point, everybody knew who Katie Tour was. And... Um, and so she talks about how that happened and why that happened and then she how she got into journalism. Her parents were also in, in local journalism and what she learned from them and also kind of how her, that relationship was problematic as well. Um, she, she talks about how, how the it's also a rat race between different journalists for work for different um, networks to get exposure, and how even within one broadcasting company like NBC, journalists may fight each other to get airtime, and and what it means when you 
are asked to to perform during like the the, the nightly news. And I listen to podcasts. I listen to a few of of, uh, of these news podcasts from the United States, and so I'm very familiar with the the programs that she talks about. And I've followed the the election campaign and also American politics. I've I've followed that uh, from a distance as a European, of course, but because I know that a large portion of my audience is American, so I want to kind of stay in touch with uh, American politics, American culture, um, because, of course, what happens in the United States also affects the rest of the world and also Europe, and a lot of the trends that you see in American politics are also starting to show here in mainland Europe. So... It, for 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 that reason, reading this book was really eye opening because she's talking about stuff that I actually watched on TV and that I know, but then you get to hear it from the other side. It made me very happy that I'm actually not a journalist. I love working in media, but I'm so thankful that I can just spend my time podcasting and and making YouTube videos and and now working on documentaries because it's so much more gratifying. It's so more, I don't know, relaxing to tell positive stories instead of just chasing the news. And then all these stories about working an entire day on a news segment, and then it just, the news changes. And Donald Trump says something outrageous, and then all of a sudden that whole thing that you worked on for an entire day, you could just put it in the garbage can. (laughs) Oh, man. That would be so frustrating. I sometimes very, very rarely forget to press record when I'm doing a podcast or when I'm walking outside or even when filming an interview. So rare. And I feel terrible when that happens. All that work for nothing. Well, apparently this is so common in, 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 in among, you know, journalists in, 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 in that work in the news business that I am really happy that that is not my job. But anyway, the book is called... Um, Unbelievable, written by Katie Tour. And uh, yeah, it was an enjoyable read. The scientifically wonderful world of science. What sort of science? Welcome back, science friends. Okay, so now we are at the point where we are causing littering on the moon? I couldn't believe this news that I heard the other day. Um... Apparently, there is this rocket that was uh, sent to space by Elon Musk. This was all in that space race, you know, with other billionaires that all want to be doing these tourist trips to space. Because, of course, yeah, sending a rocket for a few millionaires into space, yes, it's destroying the environment and it's completely useless and doesn't contribute anything to science or discovery, but heck, we've got the money, so we'll do it anyway, and we can get away with that. Well, anyway, (laughs) when Elon Musk was launching all these different rockets in order to, you know, get that space tourism off the ground, he launched a Falcon 9 booster in 2015, but after completing its mission, it did not have enough fuel to return towards Earth. And so it was just hanging there in space. And you know what? If you fly into space and you just hang there, that's not going to last forever because there are lots and lots of forces that will pull and, and, and well, have impact on whatever is out there in space. The sun, of course, is a huge source of, of, uh, of gravity. You've got Earth itself and you've got the moon. And so, apparently, after seven years, 
this rocket is now in the pull of the gravitational forces of the moon. And it's going to crash into the moon. Seriously, this huge rocket, which is, of course, now empty. There's no fuel inside it anymore. So it's basically a big piece of, of, of a tube of metal is going to collide with the moon on March the 4th. And it is currently traveling towards the moon or racing towards the moon at 5,000 miles an hour. So that's not going to be a soft landing at all. It's going to uh, create a crater. And that is going to happen outside of our view. So the littering takes place on the far side of the moon, which because of the moon's rotation, you know this, we, we never get to see that. There is like a Chinese moon rover uh, strolling around there on the other side of the moon, but we will not see the impact, nor will it be very interesting or useful because there has already been a deliberate impact of a, uh, a rocket that was crashed into the moon so they could study the crater, etc., and, and what an impact like that would, would, uh, would cause. That was in 2009. So astronomers already have a lot of data about such a crash. So what happens now with uh, Elon Musk's rocket is just completely useless, senseless. And I'm thinking, how is it that these millionaires can just create so much pollution and now also space pollution without any international entity being able to have a say in this? The moon is ours. It belongs to the... Well, actually, it doesn't belong to anyone. But if someone has a claim on the moon, it should be all of us, right? And and, and the same is true for the environment. This, this whole space tourism stuff is causing so much pollution, such a waste of money, in my opinion. I mean, I'm all for space for discovery and astronomy when it, it benefits mankind but for just for fun come on and, and 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 yes they may have their permits for the countries that they launch from but the the effects of this kind of pollution are, are global and that's of course the case with all our industries it never um can is containable by just frontiers of a country so it is really important that as as, man, as as humanity we start working together and and also come to certain agreements about how we treat this planet and and now its moon and the space in between because this may have consequences in the future we've already heard about you know some of those satellites crashing back into in, into earth's atmosphere and then breaking through and 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 being basically out of control who is going to protect us from that kind of stuff? I saw a trailer when I was in the movie theater for um, for Spider Man uh, of another one of those disaster movies where I think the moon is crashing into the Earth, <laughs> and, and, and it looks very much like a like another one of those popcorn movies where it's just completely ridiculous but entertaining nevertheless. And um, and all those movies have something in common. They always have that. Kind of usually very Hollywood, Hollywoodified. Uh, is that a word? Um, message of like we as a world we should come together faced with these disasters. I'm thinking let's come together before the disasters, okay? <laughs> before we completely ruin it, let's try to 
establish a dialogue and 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 get scientists from all over the world uh, together and 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 let all of us have a say in this, not just the rich industrialists or owners of big companies. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. In this technology section, I want to talk about Google Home and uh, something new that they introduced that I'm very happy with. And I want to talk about why I am in for AR glasses as soon as they come out. And I have a, I've experienced something today that made me convinced that I need AR glasses. Okay, let's start with Google Home. You know that I have a Google Home uh, house with all these intelligent devices. In every room, there is a Google Home. Um, and so... I, I use it for a lot of uh, domotica, I think that's the word. So I control a lot of stuff like my lights and even lights, uh, um, how do you call that? With the Philips Hue, you can create like these ambient light palettes, etc., or color palettes. So all that is controlled by, uh, by Google Home as well as my morning uh, and evening routine. So uh, Google Home wakes me up in the morning. Uh, it can also connect to other surfaces like um, I got a, a like a month's subscription to Headspace um, and I can link that to Google Home so that when I go to bed it can play this evening meditation or whatever it is and uh, it's not flawless it sometimes takes a lot of time to set up especially if you well in my case I I brought in all that equipment from my previous home and then to recalibrate it for this particular house I had to basically reprogram every light individually it was a hassle and the user interface of google of google home is uh is not very good um, google is is brilliant uh, for, <laughs> on a lot of levels but user interfaces are, are are very often a big mess and and don't have any consistency to them. It's a little bit what Sony, the problem that Sony has with cameras. If you've ever tried to operate a camera, a professional camera from Sony, oh my goodness, it is just horrible. Their menu structure is so opaque. And you wonder, did you ever test this on regular human beings? Or is this just something that you develop with some technicians that have never met a, a, a normal person? I don't know. Anyway, that sometimes is what I wonder with Google. The easiest things are sometimes so hard to uh, to get done. Why? Um, so the one of the issues that I have with Google is that oftentimes it will misinterpret what you say. So I talk to Google, and then it's uh, oh, let me tell you about this and that. It's like I didn't even mention that. How can you? How can you possibly not understand what I said? I said, you know. Read me the latest news. And now you're going to give me this whole background information on a pop group that is called, I don't know, M Morning Dews or something like that. <laughs> and then it just keeps on. Sometimes it will just start playing a song or a playlist at very loud volume. And there's like, oh, I need to answer my phone. Be quiet. And then you, you're like, okay, you try to say the, the, the hey, 
something something. I won't I won't say what I normally say because I know that some of you are listening to this on, on your speakers and it will activate your own devices. But it's so frustrating that it sometimes will not listen. And then you have to repeat over and over again, hey G, hey mm, and and or okay, mm mm. Uh, and it doesn't listen and it's also a bit of a hassle especially in the morning when you're so super still like waking up and you're tired just to have to formulate a phrase to give a command is super irritating so thankfully google has now made it possible to just say stop and you don't have to first say the hey g or okay g no just say stop and it will stop but apparently it doesn't work with music which is, of course, the number one thing that I that people use their speakers for is to play music. And how often have I gotten a phone call or someone at the door, and I I need to answer the door, and I can't, and it, and, and these speakers will not understand my command. I wish that they would just give me this. Like the, the, I I need to have a, a, a one word that I can say. Just make it stop. You know, stop. And then I will tell you what to do next. But just listen when I say stop. Ay, 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 ay. It seems so obvious. And yet Google is so... Just... Ah, sometimes so... Uh, I don't know. As, as if they have a block of concrete in front of their faces, as, as we would say in, in, in Holland. Um, it's, it's so obvious that that is what we want. Do they ever listen to their customers? Anyway. <laughs> and then Apple. Uh, that's another big company that makes uh, stuff that is supposed to serve us, but sometimes also has its own quirks. They are working on AR glasses. I won't repeat what I said last week. But this morning, I actually found a perfect user case that convinced me that, yes, I am ready for something to replace my phone. I was in the in the in the woods and I lost my way. I was recording um the the extra mile which is a, a continuation of the walk, but I recorded for my patrons and I got lost. I took a wrong turn and I I actually wanted to go home quickly because I had uh bought a ticket for or not bought a ticket. I'd ordered a ticket for The Matrix for the new Matrix movie, another movie that I wasn't able to see because of the lockdown. And so I needed to be home in time, but I didn't know where I was. So I tried to, it was raining. I was holding a microphone and, or my recorder in one hand and an umbrella in order to also get the phone out of my pocket and operate it and see where I was and calculate my way home. I needed to put the recorder in the same hand as my umbrella. And then it was raining. So I couldn't, the umbrella was kind of hard. To, so I stopped the recording I put down the umbrella and then it's just it was raining quite a bit so the the, the rain was on 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 my phone and so it felt it didn't respond well to touch anymore because of the conductivity of the rain I suppose or the water and I was just standing there feeling totally miserable and like this is just and my phone is not even waterproof you know it's it's not I think it's water resistant so it won't break but it's not waterproof so i'm extra concerned when it's raining and i have to operate that phone and it's like oh my goodness please apple give me something else i just this is one of those cases where i really don't like a phone as my primary navigational 
device. For I like my phone in, in some situations. Most of the time, however, I prefer a much larger screen. I prefer to work on my iPad. It's so much more relaxing than, than, than peering at that tiny little screen of my phone. I also don't like to carry a phone around. It's, it's inconvenient. I don't certainly don't like to have a phone in the pockets of my trousers like some people are able to do. I like, oh, please, no. And so I, this morning I was like, oh, if only I would have AR glasses now that would respond to voice commands. I could just say, hey, show me the way home and then show me directions in my field of view so I don't have to like hold something in my hands while I'm trying to get home. And it just suddenly made so much sense for me to, to this new technology. And especially it made so much sense why Apple thinks that this may replace the phone in the end. Because I think it will. Maybe not the first generation, but certainly future iterations of AR glasses, I think will ultimately end up replacing our phones. And you know what? I'm ready for it. Let it be. <laughs> Make it so. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any feedback or suggestions, make sure to let me know on social media or if you are among the members of my Patreon community. Uh, you can always reach me and talk about uh, these podcasts in the podcast feedback section of the Discord server. If you are a patron, you don't know how to get onto Discord, contact us and we will guide you. It's very, very easy. And I'm sure that you'll like it once you've discovered how to, how to get on Discord. Um, thanks to all of you that are watching this on YouTube. Um, thanks for your patience, because visually it's not the most exciting thing, but uh, I'm glad that you stuck around, and hopefully you will enjoy uh, the contents. If you want to listen to the audio version, of course, just look for Father Roderick in your podcasting software, and you'll be able to find a number of shows. So, um, yeah, thanks again. We'll talk soon. Have a great day, and God bless.